0: Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. All right. Well, this morning, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 23. The title of this morning's message is Virtue Signaling. So if you haven't heard of that term, it's ai don't think it's a recent term, but it's become very popular over the past few years, at least for me. Uh, not that I virtue signal, but if you don't know what it is, well, let me explain it. So obviously it is what it says it is. It's signaling your virtue. It's when you say, hey, look at me, I'm... If I give you an example, I'm protesting this and I'm letting everybody know I'm protesting this or I'm supporting this and I want everybody to know. And I think it's become so popular now because social media, right? We can blast out everything that we do and tell the world all the things that we support and the things that we don't like. And sometimes, uh, especially in our society, at least in the United States, if you're not against something like the rest of the world the world becomes against you. It's like if it does, if you don't post it on social media, did it really happen? Do you really like it or not like it? You know, it happened over the past few years, you know, with protesting and rioting and supporting, you know, this candidate or that candidate, all those things we put online and say, I'm for this, I'm moral because I support this and I'm against that. But then in actuality, Those people really, not all of them, but there's some that are only there so that people see them. That's what they want you to know. Hey, this is who I am and uh, this is what I'm against. I'm virtuous. I'm moral because I support this or I'm against that. And it's, it's not a good term. It's usually used in a negative way when you tell somebody you're virtue signaling. You're telling everybody how virtuous you are. And in this morning's text, as we look at Mark, I think in a a way, there is such thing as spiritual virtual signaling, right? That I'm spiritually virtuous in a number of ways. You know, I go to church. I carry the largest Bible. I raise my hands the highest, whatever it is. I, you know, do devotions five out of seven, whatever it is. You're virtuous because you're telling everybody, right? You're taking a pick. Not if you do this, I'm not picking on you. As we've all done, and I've probably done it too. You know, I put on my Instagram, I set up my Bible perfectly, and I'm a cup of coffee, and studying God's Word today, right? People do that, and that's great. We're letting, we're being a witness. As long as you're not virtue saying you're not saying, I'm great because I do this, or that, or don't do this or that, whatever the case may be. As I was mentioning in this morning's text, we're going to see that in a very... Popular text, we're going to see some spiritual virtue signaling and see what Jesus says about it. So with that said, let's read verses 1 through 5 of the text this morning. It says this, And the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered together around him, obviously meaning Jesus, when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands That is unwashed for the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they carefully washed their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and of pitchers and copper pots. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? We'll stop there. In these first five verses, we see the accusation made by the Pharisees and the scribes against Jesus' disciples and actually against Jesus because Jesus is their leader, right the leader of the disciples. So, what were they being accused of? They were being accused of not following the tradition of the elders. You see that in verse 4. Well, who's an elder? What is he talking about here? The elders at this time were the, who, who they're referring to, were the honored Jewish teachers of the law, right? Or those who taught the law, right? People that you looked up to, who were significant in in the religious society of the time, especially in Jewish cultures. Hey, these are the guys that know the law. They've put down the law and we do what they say, right? They're the elders. We respect them. We respect our elders, so to speak. And so the accusation is, hey, you guys aren't following the elders. What exactly weren't they following? He says, you're not following the tradition set forth by the elders, Tradition in this sense is they're talking about a doctrinal teaching deriving from the interpretation of the scriptures at this time, which would have been the Old Testament. It's not actually, as we'll see, a doctrine taught in scripture, but it was an interpretation that they had come up with and had laid this burden down on all people. And what was that tradition? Well, as we already read, this tradition that the disciples and Jesus... Another narrative, it tells us that Jesus was doing this as well. Some of the disciples, it says, as they were eating their bread with impure hands, meaning they didn't wash their hands before they ate. But it's more than just washing your hands, because we would all agree that, hey, you should wash your hands before you eat. That's probably a good thing. But it goes beyond that. It says they were impure hands, and they're talking about spiritually impure right? They didn't purify their hands before they ate. According to the tradition of the elders, they were expected to go through a ceremonial washing process of their hands before they ate, right? Any good religious, pious Jewish person at this time would have done that. They would have been expected to do that. This is why the Pharisees and the scribes, they see Jesus's disciples doing that, and they say, hey, You guys aren't washing your hands. So it's not just a merely washing. They're putting some spirituality behind it. Right? And they would have been defiled because, hey, they've been out in the marketplace or various places, and they may have come across something that was undefiled, unpure, and thus transmitting that impurity to themselves. And so they needed to purify themselves. And if they didn't go through this ceremonial washing... According to the tradition of the elders, they would have been ceremonial unclean or spiritually unclean, unfit basically before God because they didn't go through this ceremony. You see, the Pharisees and scribe extended this beyond the washing of their hands, though, as Jesus points out in verse 5, or Mark points out in verse 4. Right? There were other kinds of ceremonial washings that they had. They would sprinkle their entire bodies if they had come from the marketplace. public gathering. They may have been around so many people and they didn't know where these people came from, whether they were Jewish or not. And they may have been defiled. They may have bumped into a Gentile and thus became infected by this Gentile. So they need to purify themselves. So they would sprinkle their entire bodies. At other times it says they did other things where they would clean all the utensils in a ceremonial way before they sat down to eat, to become undefiled spiritually. And again, it seems like, oh, that's a good thing, washing your dishes and your food before you eat. And if you've been out in public, you should probably take a shower or get cleaned up before you come in and eat with everyone else. But the problem with this is that it, it was a doctrine that wasn't found in their scriptures. Again, it was a doctrine or teaching of the elders, a tradition It went far beyond what scripture taught anyways. Ceremonial cleansing was only required by the priest before they went in to offer sacrifices. And that's recorded in Exodus 30 in one place. Exodus 30, 18 through 21. I won't read it, but I'll just give you that reference where you can see that that was the only time in the Old Testament that cleansing or ceremonial washing of hands was required. It was by the priest before they went in to offer sacrifice. Nowhere in the Old Testament is hand washing required by any other person. The other thing that we need to think about is can you actually cleanse yourself from spiritual defilement? This is the big point this morning. Is there a way to cleanse ourselves from being defiled spiritually? Jesus is going to answer that in a a few moments here. So this is the accusation. The Pharisees who purify themselves ceremonially all the time before they eat and other times, seeing Jesus and his followers not do that. And they're saying, why don't you guys do this? Why don't you follow the tradition of the elders and ceremonially wash your hands? And so Jesus answers this in verses 16, excuse me, 6 through 13. And let's look at that now. And he said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, neglecting the commandment of God you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you nicely set aside the commandment of God in order to keep your, your traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, so he's like, this is what the commandment of God says. But you guys say with your traditions, he's going to say, but you say, if a man says to his father or mother, anything of mine you, uh, you might have been helped by is Corbin. That is to say, given to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother. Thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down and you do many things such as that. So let's look at what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus, as I mentioned, is answering the scribes and Pharisees. And he accuses the religious leaders of hypocrisy. You see that in verses uh, six through eight. Or you could say a virtue signaling because it's hypocrisy. Right? You just want to be honored by men. Right. He says that he says you're not you're honoring God with your lips, with your words your virtue signaling with your words, but your heart is far from me. Again, we love God. Look at us. Look at what we do. We wash our hands ceremonially. We wash our entire bodies. We wash every utensil following the traditions of our elders because we're spiritual. Right? That's not it, though. They also, at other times in the Gospels, we're told, They go to the temple often. They tithe twice a week. They wear clothes to demonstrate how spiritual they are. They didn't like being around sinful people. In reality, they're only doing everything for the praises of men, we're told over and over in the Gospels. They weren't doing these things necessarily to be honored by God. And let me give you a few examples of this. Turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew uh, particularly, uh, we're going to look at verse six. I'm just—you can read the entire chapter on your own, but I'm just going to highlight a few different things that Jesus condemns the Pharisees from doing or for doing. And he's warning his disciples not to be like the Pharisees. He says this in verse one of chapter six: "Beware of practicing your righteousness before men." For what reason? To be noticed by them. We're called to be witnesses in front of the world, right? We're in the world, but not of it. But if you're doing it to be noticed by them, this is what Jesus saying the Pharisees were doing. They're practicing their religion to be noticed by men. And in his warning, he tells his disciples, otherwise you have no reward with your father who is in heaven. And he gives an example. When therefore you give alms or money, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that, and this is why they do it, that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. They're not going to be honored by God. Their reward is the praises of men. Drop down to verse five. He he warns again, and when you pray, you're not to Uh, you are to go in the inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your God who is in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will repay you. Again, this is in sharp contrast to the Pharisees who would stand out in front of everybody and pray long prayers so that they can be heard and seen by men. And finally, in verse 16, drop down to verse 16, he says, and whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, For they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. The modern day equivalent would maybe be, maybe you posting on my third day of fasting. And you put a gloomy face, you know, do a gloomy, gloomy selfie or something to let everybody know that you're fasting. And Jesus is saying, no, we don't do that to be praised by God. Another example, you can turn over to the gospel of Luke and look at verse uh, chapter 18 with me. And we'll see verses 9 through 12 specifically. Again, Jesus warning about such hypocrisy and Luke 18 verses 9 through 12. And he also told the parable to a certain man who had trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. That's the key. He viewed himself as righteous, right? I'm virtuous. Ooh, sorry. If you were sleeping, hopefully that woke you up. <laughs> if you are virtuous, I'm virtuous. And I view others, this guy over here with contempt because he's not like me. He's not doing whatever I'm doing for God. And this is what he says. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God I thank thee that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. You get that picture? Jesus makes it very, you know, stark for you to understand. Here's this guy standing and saying, Lord, thank you. It'd be like me going, Lord, thank you so much for this church that we're here today. Worshiping you. Not like all those people out there that are shopping or at the beach or, you know, something like that. We're not like those people. He goes on. And I'd mentioned this earlier, I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. So it gives you this contrast. Here's the Pharisee virtue signaling. And then here's this lowly tax collector. And this is what the tax collector says. He says he was, un- he was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so that's the contrast we get. This one virtue signaling, thus praying for himself, pandering to the crowd, and the other one is actually being heard by God. And so as we go back to our text, this is an example of what Jesus was talking about to the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7. So not only were they being hypocrites, verse 7 says, but in vain do you worship me. They were worshiping God in vain. What is he talking about there? Because they were doing everything for their own glory. They weren't doing anything to be, you know, for God, to glorify God. Again, they were doing to please people more than God. They're not really worshiping God. That's why in the last section I read, he says he was praying thus to himself. He thought he was praying to God, but he was really just praying to himself. He was praying in vain. It was worthless to so people that are worshiping God in vain. They're, they're maybe playing their instruments in vain. They're singing in vain. They're uh, giving in vain. They're praying in vain. They're working in ministry in vain because they're not doing it for the glory of God. They're doing it for themselves to please somebody else or to say how virtuous I am. In the prophecy of Isaiah... We went through this a few years ago. I want to just remind you of how awesome that book is. It's a long one, but it has really got some good stuff. In Isaiah, look at chapter one with me for a second. In Isaiah chapter one, this is the plea that we st- he started off in the very first chapter of Isaiah condemning Israel specifically the rulers for worshiping him in vain. Look at what he says. He goes, hear the word of the Lord. This is Isaiah 1 verse 10. You rulers of Sodom. They weren't rulers of Sodom, but they were acting like rulers of Sodom. He says, give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. He's talking to Israel, not these two cities that have been destroyed. But again, they've been acting like them. Truly, truly. But virtue signaling. He says, what are your multiplied sacrifices to me? Says the Lord. So they're sacrificing to the Lord, right? Like they're supposed to be doing, but in their hearts, they're truly living like Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, I've had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. And I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure them. Uh, I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. He's describing, you guys think you're worshiping. You're doing all this thing. you're trampling my courts. You're singing to me, you're worshiping, and I hate it. That's what he says in verse 13. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered in blood the epitome of virtue signaling, being condemned by God. He's saying, you guys look really good. You're doing exactly what you're supposed to do. You're being religious to the T. But in my eyes, it is worthless. It is in vain. You come here and you take up my time. I'm tired of hearing about it. But have you ever become so tired of hearing about something because they don't change? They just say the same thing over and over and over again, and there's no change. I'm tired of hearing it. This is how the Lord is speaking to his people who are spiritually virtue signaling. And this is what Jesus is saying to those in Mark chapter 7. Let's go back. So this is Jesus' accusation against the scribes and the Pharisees. He's accusing them of hypocrisy, of worshiping him in vain. And what exactly are they doing? He says in verse 7, you guys are teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. You're taking what man says and saying this is gospel, so to speak. Or this is what God commands. And he says you're not doing that. You're teaching man-made doctrines. They were honoring the man-made doctrines above the commandment of God. And that's what he says in verse 8 neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the traditions of men. You hold to what your elders are teaching over against what God's word teaches. And he gives an example of this. He goes, here's an example. Look at verse, in verse 10, he says, uh, in verse 10, he says, for Moses says to honor your father and mother. All right, this is one of the 10 commandments, honor your father and mother. And he says, you guys are finding loopholes in Teaching people not to honor their father or mother by saying, hey, this financial support that I was going to use for my mom and dad that need it, I'm now going to say I'm using it for God so I don't have to give it to my mom and dad. I get to keep it, but I'm saying, oh, it's been dedicated to God, mom and dad. What are your mom and dad going to do? Oh, okay, that's, that's great. You should give yourself to you know, give yourself this money to God. If you're going to use it for that, great. But no, he said, you guys aren't really using it for God. You're virtue signaling again. You're being hypocrites because you're actually keeping it for yourselves. You're getting out of providing for your mother and father who you're supposed to take care of by saying this is for God. There's this little loophole. Again, in verse 9, he says, you nicely set aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Again, you're honoring this man-made tradition over against the plain teaching of Scripture. It's an important thing to note for us this morning in this section right here, particularly on this aspect, that for us as believers, Scripture is the sole rule of our faith. It is the final source of authority in our lives as believers. If this morning you say, I'm a believer of God, then that means Scripture is your rule of authority. It's what the reformers in the 16th century called script, uh, sola scriptura, meaning by scripture alone. We follow what scripture says. If you know your church history at this time, this was a big battle. This was the split of, of Christianity with, with the Protestant reformers splitting from the Catholic church. They wanted to reform the Catholic church but the, because the church held to traditions. And they were saying, no, we hold to scripture alone. And where you guys don't follow scripture, we're going to split from you. We're not going to follow that. That was the big thing in the 16th century. That's when we had Protestantism, which we are part of. And so you have those two branches. You have the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church, both on the abel of Christianity But the Catholic Church holds to tradition and scripture, and they put them on par with each other, where the Reformers said, no, it's scripture alone, and that's what rules us. And I think this is what Jesus is saying here. These doctrines of men are uh, contradicting scripture. And where that happens in our lives, then we go to scripture alone. So when it comes to you as a believer ruling your life and worshiping God, we... You should be operating by what Scripture says, not by tradition, not by our society or cultural norms. We are sola scriptura, by Scripture alone. That is how we rule our life. And anything other than that, which contradicts Scripture, is sin. This is what we believe. This is what we believe is the plain teaching of Scripture as well. And and I believe Jesus says this again, again, verse 13, he says, you are invalidating the word of God by your tradition. So if anything in your life, what you believe or hold on to invalidates or contradicts what God's word says, as a believer, you were to say it's by scripture alone, then scripture supersedes any other rule outside, I mean, any other rule of our life, again, whether it's tradition, culture, or societal norms. And so Jesus goes on in verses 14 through 23 to explain uh, the doctrine that there's a bigger issue going on here. Let me say this. Jesus is is like, this isn't the only thing that you guys are doing. You're actually defiling God's work of grace by doing this. There's a bigger issue, even a bigger one than that. And that's what Jesus explains in verses 14 through 13. let Let's or 14 through 23, let's read that. Because here Jesus is going to explain to his followers and his disciples the, the overarching theme of this. Like, what's the real issue? Why is this such a big deal? If he hasn't made that plain already. He says this, And after he had called the multitude to him again, and he began to say to them, Listen to me, all you and understand. So, this is important. He's gathered all his followers, not just his disciples, to him. He says, Listen, and I want you to understand what I'm going to say. He says, There is nothing outside a man which going into him can defile him. But the things which proceed out of a man are what defile the man. Let's keep reading. So, and when the, excuse me, he says, if any man has ears to hear, let him hear again. Mark's saying, hey, pay attention to this, what Jesus is saying here. There's something big going on here. And it's not just about food. It's bigger. And he goes on, he says, and, and when leaving his multitude, he entered into the house and his disciples questioned him about the parable. So the disciples, again, want to know more. Okay, help us understand this even more. And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that what goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. That's Mark's commentary on that verse. And he goes on to say, and he he was saying, that which proceeds out of a man... That is what defiles the man. For for, from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. So here again, Jesus is going to talk about what truly defiles somebody. And when he speaks of defilement, he's talking about spiritual defilement. He's not talking about food in the the plain sense of it. And we'll talk about that as we go through this. You see, in in Jewish and Roman culture and thought, the heart was the, the, the center of a man, of a person. Right, this was your spiritual core, this was your emotional core, everything came from the heart. So you, you'll see often in scripture, it always refers to somebody's heart, right? As the core of somebody's being. And so Jesus is saying here that what you eat doesn't go into your heart, your emotional, spiritual being. Right? We know from, from medical, you know, medicine now that, yeah, it actually does affect your heart in some way, but. He's talking about spiritually. So if I eat bacon, is that going to make me spiritually unclean? That's an example. But how does that really, we're not talking about that. As a matter of fact, Scripture teaches us that our hearts are unclean by nature already. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is more deceitful than anything else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's just one example. You see, as the human race, in general, we are spiritually defiled by nature. We are born sinners because of the fall of Adam. That's just the reality of it. That's who we are. We're naturally born sinners. So the heart's already defiled from the the get-go. And how do we cleanse that? This is going to be the point in a moment. So as we see, the heart was the source of defilement before God, right? Our heart's defiled already. Eating something, you know, doesn't defile it anymore spiritually. And if you wash your hands to uncontaminate the food or your hands that don't contaminate the food, that doesn't make you spiritually clean because it doesn't even go into your heart. It doesn't touch you spiritually speaking. So the question that Jesus is answering again, it's the bigger question is what is the sort, or how are we to clean? How do we, how do we cleanse our heart? How do we cleanse our heart? Is it what the tradition of men say that we wash our hands spiritually purifying them so that we can have clean hearts and thus we are made clean. This is why I said the doctrine that is, that is being defiled is really the truth of God's work of grace. Jesus was saying, you can't purify your heart by ceremonially washing yourself. That's not how you do it. You guys can't clean your hands enough to make your heart spiritually clean before God. Again, Jesus was saying, your heart's already defiled. I mean, look, and he gives you a long list of evidence. Because from our heart, from our emotional being, our physical being, come all these, a long list of sins. Those are the things that make us unclean, not eating food with unwashed hands. These sinful things that are already in your heart, that's what makes you unclean. You're already sinful. And so he's painting a picture that there's nothing you can do to cleanse yourself, to make you right before God. Not washing hands, not washing your body, not washing utensils, nothing you can do. So what do we do? He paints a a sad picture. What are we supposed to do then? If we can't do what our elders are saying, we can't cleanse ourselves, how do we get clean? How do we obtain spiritual purity? He doesn't answer it here. but Maybe he did. It's just not recorded. But we know what scripture tells us. Is we obtain spiritual purity by believing in the gracious work of Jesus Christ. That's how we obtain spiritual purity. It's not... Being here, sitting here this morning, it's not reading the Bible, it's, it's not worshiping, it's not praying, there's, there's no spiritual acts that you can do to make yourself spiritually clean. We do these things because we're spiritually clean and we want to worship the Lord, but so what do we do? Well, the answer is this, is that we need, we need to obtain spiritual cleansing that comes from God alone, Right? It's only God that can cleanse us. Again, going back to Isaiah in verses 16 through 18. So after God or Isaiah makes this pronouncement against the rulers of Israel, this predicament that they're in, what does he tell them? He paints that picture because you guys are in bad shape and this is what you need to do. This is the solution. He says this, wash yourselves make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight and cease to do evil. Learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless and defend the orphan and plead for the widow. And how do they do that? Verse 18, come now and let us reason together. He's telling them, come to the Lord, right? Come now and let us reason, says the Lord, though your sins as are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. They will, though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Why? Because God is going to cleanse them because they've repented of their sins and they've come to the Lord. As a matter of fact, in John thirteen eight, Jesus explaining to Peter about washing his feet, he's going to a bigger picture about being cleansed. He says this, Peter said to him, Lord, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him and said, If I do not wash you, you have no part of me. If you don't get spiritually cleansed, you have no part of me. I need to clean you. It's more than just cleaning your dirty feet. It's your entire body. And remember, Peter goes, Then wash all of me, Lord. And finally, in Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, again, another verse about cleansing says this, therefore brethren, since we have confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, look at this, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. None of us have literally had blood sprinkled upon us or our bodies washed, but it's applied to us because of what Christ has done and we're made spiritually clean. It's nothing that we did. It's all what Jesus did. It's all the work of God's grace and our believing in it. And then that's applied to us. Again, that's what the reformers would call uh, by Christ alone. I think it's sola Christos, for those of you that know Latin, or those of you in church history. You had sola fide, sola, uh, there were the five solas. I'm going to try to remember those here. Uh, There's sola fide, which is like faith alone. Sola Christos, which is by Christ alone. Sola scriptura, which is by uh, uh, scripture alone. I'm missing you. Oh, one of my, sola de, soli deo Christo. Our sola deo gloria, which is by God alone, or God alone. There's one more, I'm missing it. Sola fide, by faith alone. They're saying all these things by what God has done, not by what a Catholic church or any church has done that makes us right with God. It's all God alone. It's all about God and nothing about us. And this is the bigger picture that Jesus was teaching. It's not about doing something religious thing to make yourself clean. No, it's about what God has done. And applying that to your life. So let me close with these four questions for each and every one of us because I believe these four touch an aspect of somebody's life in here. Number one, the first thing to ask ourselves is, are you spiritually virtue signaling this morning? right In your own life, in your walk with God, are you spiritually virtue signaling? meaning you're showing out you're only say you follow God or believe in God. So that people would think that. They think you're a good person. We could be doing that this morning sitting in here. We're here, you know, signaling to somebody that knows us. to, Hey, I'm, I'm good with God. I'm right here, see? And you know, deep down inside you're not. Second question is this. Do you know you cannot wash away your defilement? Some people that go to church think that I can go to church and that, you know, I need to go to church because I need to, you know, it helps me get right with God. You know, I need to balance the scales. I did so many bad things this week, man. I need to get to church. I need some Jesus in me. You know, you've heard that term before. I need a little bit of Jesus. Like it's okay. Now you're good because, you know, you did these spiritual things and that out, outweighs your defilement. But Jesus's words again would be that there's nothing... That you could do on the outside that will cleanse you. So you need to ask yourself as well do you know that you cannot wash your defilement? There's no amount of good works that you can do to wash away your sins. Which leads us to the next question Have you come to the Lord to be cleansed? That you've realized that, yeah, I know I can. So I've come, have you come to the Lord to get that cleansing? Because it is only God who can wash away your sins. He can only cleanse you from that defilement. The fourth and final question is this. Are you living in the freedom of your salvation? What do I mean by that? Is is there some people that would think, you know, they're they're not living free because they think every time I've sinned, I've lost my salvation. I'm messed up. I got, you know, you've been to churches where they have altar calls. and You see that same guy walk forward every week. He thinks he has to get saved again. (laughs) No. You're saved. Just repent of your sins. Tell God you're sorry for your sins and live in freedom. Don't live all like I have to do, I have to walk in on eggshells before I have to do the right thing over and over and over again. Or God's not going to forgive me. He's already forgiven you on the cross. If you've applied that to your life, you're forgiven. You don't need to, you know, be scared or live in fear that you're going to lose your salvation. Right? You need to live in the freedom of your salvation. Are you doing that? That's a real thing for believers. You know, it happens over and over again as you hear somebody not truly understanding the gospel and they're, oh, I got I to do right this week, you know, I really, I, which is a good thing, but it's not, you're not doing right in order to be saved. You're already saved, right? It's like, you're already on the baseball team, man. Just go out there and play. Just play, do your best. You know, God's going to help you. Trust God and he'll help you. Don't think you got to get, you know, sign up for the baseball team all over again. Try out all over again. There's nothing we could do enough to earn our salvation if you're not saved. And once you're saved, there's nothing you can do to lose your salvation, right? If you're saved, you're saved. I believe that because it's all Christ, right? God's going to hold you in in, in his hand. You might fall off and try to slip off and fall away for a while, but if you're God's, you're his. So again, are you living in the freedom of salvation? Just let me go with those four questions again. Are you spiritually virtual signaling? Virtue singing. Do you know you cannot wash away your defilement? Have you come to the Lord to be cleansed? And finally, are you living in the freedom of your salvation? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you once again for your word. I pray, Lord, that your plain teaching of your word would just remind us of how awesome you are and what you have done for us. Lord, as we look at the text, as we've looked at this text this morning, and we see our spiritual predicament, that there's nothing we could do to earn salvation and make ourselves clean, I pray that we would would embrace that and, and walk in such a way as we believe that. And that means coming to you for salvation and then walking in the freedom of that salvation. Help us to do that, Lord God. And help us to be a people that not only does that, but shares that with others. There's so many people in this world who don't know you, who are trying to make themselves spiritually clean by joining a religion, by doing good works. And I'm sure they're exhausted, Lord. No, They're not even sure they're going to make it to heaven, so to speak. Help us to be bold enough to share that message with them that Christ has done it all. By Christ alone, there's nothing we can do, Lord. Help us again to to truly understand that and help us to share that with people this week. We pray that you would open up doors for us to do that and give us the boldness to share with someone and to love them the way that you love them. So we thank you for your word. And we pray all this in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, who finished our salvation and will keep us until the day that he returns again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren. Dot church. That's R E N dot church. Thanks for listening.